We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, Reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. You can't control what's outside your home, but you can control what comes in. Because Clorox disinfecting wipes kill 99.9% of viruses and bacteria, including COVID-19 virus, when used as directed on hard, non-porous surfaces. So whether it's from dirty doorknobs, dirty shoes, or something else, outside germs won't stand the chance. When it counts, trust Clorox. Kill Pseudomonas, Salmonella, and Influenza virus type A2. Kill SARS-CoV-2 on hard, non-porous surfaces. Use as directed. So the LA Rams will be the number two seed. They finish 13 and 3, a 13 win season for the third time in franchise history. I've been dreaming this my whole life. This don't have you. Yeah. It's time to put in the work. Yeah. Every man go dominate. Offense, defense, special team. Let's go. What are we talking about? Greg Zerline sends the Rams to the Super Bowl. Hey, 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 welcome to Rams Talk Radio. This is your host, Eric C. Paul, my co-host, the former Los Angeles Rams defensive back, Michael Stewart. And we have a lot to get with you today on, but first and foremost, it's been a couple weeks, but how you doing, Mike? Hey, man, doing great, doing great. Excited about everything that's going on in Rams land, as well as at the Driller House. Got some good uh, seniors coming back, so um, team is gelling, so man, ready to go. You guys are in summer workouts now, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So we just finished up uh, passing league uh, last week. So we have this week, which is two days with the fourth and 
next week. We have four days, and then we'll be it till we come back on the 29th of July. By the way, the Rams are about a month away now from starting camp, too, in case we're looking here. Matter of fact, there's a lot of drama going on. The Rams are about to start back up any minute now. By, and probably by the time you listen to this podcast, we'll know if Kawhi Leonard is in Laker or he'll stay in Toronto. Yeah. Looks like the Clippers are out of it now with the whole Jimmy Butler thing going to the heat. So we'll find out how that goes. I'm pumped here. We're a month away. I'm starting to get antsy and waiting to see how this team does, and that really kind of begs the question of our podcast today, Mike, and what would it take for another Rams Super Bowl run? That's our question we're going to try and answer today. Also, we have John Meerding from the Power Sweep here to take our tour around the league to Green Bay, and that's at the end of the show. All right, folks, before we even get to that, we do want you to know that we're sponsored by Jim Hawk and his book, Hollywood's Team. That's what this episode is sponsored by. We also remind you that we're available anywhere podcasts can be found, including Spotify, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Apple Music, where we are everywhere. You can also find our podcast listed with Clutch Points. They feature an awesome app that puts loads of NBA and NFL information at your fingertips. I guarantee you Clutch Points is loaded tonight with all kinds of stuff about NBA free agency. Go check it out. Also, don't forget... We could really, really use a nice five-star review on Apple Music. It would really help us out, help us move the charts. And if you think we need to earn it, we got some work to do, well, that's okay. Do us a solid, please, and send us an email at ramstalk1945 at gmail.com and give us some feedback. We do want to be the best out there for Rams coverage. That's always our goal. And, of course, we have on our network, the Rams Uncensored, Butting Heads, and soon Norm Hightower's new show, which will focus on breaking down film. Well, a couple of things I need to talk about, and Mike, you don't know about this because we haven't had a chance to catch up just yet. We've both been busy beavers. First, don't forget, those of you who are paying attention on Rams Twitter, you know, the big Rams and Centric pool parties coming up. They're going to be sell- uh, selling t-shirts. Check Twitter out for that if you want to get one. That's coming up the day after, I believe, training camp starts, but check that out. But um, this next part's really kind of bit the important one. I might get a little emotional and need you to kind of bear with me on this one. Um, it's been bothering me in the last couple of days as we um, try and deal with this here at Ramps Talk. We have a member of our staff. His, his name is Dom. He joined the staff about seven months ago and I put the call out for a new writer. And he sent me this wonderful email that was really hardcore on letting us know that it's his dream to write about the Rams. See, what happened to Dom was Dom was in a fire years ago that permanently, at least we think it's permanent, injured him. It's a spinal injury. And ever since then, he's been living with so much pain that he's now on disability. We don't know why he has this pain. We don't know why uh, he's continued to have this chronic problem. He's gone up to the University of Washington to try and get some help from the research side over there. But before he could really get knee-deep in finding solutions. He had to go back to California uh, due to... Uh, fi- basically, he ran out of money. Okay? And uh, over the course of the last few months, he's become a valuable member of the staff. He was running a lot for us. He was helping us on web development and trying to improve our website. And one thing I noticed over the course of the last couple months, though, is we've seen Dom just kind of disappear here and there. So... um so the other night, we are we have an issue on the back part of our, our website dashboard, and I'm, I'm trying to keep it together a little bit because I'm pretty upset. And um, 
the only person that I know who could probably solve it is Dom. So I reach out and I, tr- I get a hold of Dom and Dom's trying to solve it. And, but we actually are talking and this is where I find out why he's been away. And the reality is, is that he is, he's in so much pain now that he can't think for very long straight. He can't sleep. He can't really do anything. He's basically losing his life to whatever is going on in his body. And when I realized, I realized when I heard this, I realized two things. A, he can't help us right now. And B, we need to help him. So what Rams Talk is doing is we are setting up a fundraiser. Uh, hopefully we'll have it up set, set up this Wednesday through a GoFundMe. And we are going to raise money to try and get him back to University of Washington where he can get the help he needs. No, we're not trying to pay medical bills. That's something that will be already covered. We're basically trying to help pay for the actual needs of travel, the try to help with the rent, food, and so on and so forth. Because he can't really do anything right now. This person has become somebody who has meant a lot to our staff. He is a huge diehard Rams fan. And really, he's had everything in his life taken from him. His friends are gone. His Everything is, is just gone. And, um, well, we're going to try and help him. We want to give him his life back. That's our goal, folks, is we want to help this man have his life back. His dream, after all this happened, was just to do something simple, just to be able to write and talk about the team that he loves the most, and that's the Rams. And um, now he came and do that. So this injury, this horrible accident has robbed this man of everything everything that he's ever dreamed of. So this week I'm asking you to consider, as we put the fundraiser out, I'm asking you to consider helping us help this man. And I'll have the story out there. I'll be writing an article on it. We'll have the GoFundMe up. and We're partnering, thank you, to Downtown Rams, Turf Show Times, Locked On Rams, and the USA Today's Rams Wire. All those guys are going to help us put the word out on this so rams nation and the ramily we like to bicker and fight a lot on social media but when it comes down to it we always come punching together and i want to ask you to do do that one more time so uh just give me a second here to get it together and um thank you thank you for considering helping all right so mike the rams are coming off a super bowl run here it was yeah a heck of a season I mean, wonderful season, lots of positives, very few negatives, but we would be lying if we said this team was perfect. Is that fair? Definitely fair. Okay. Um, from my point of view, we saw issues on the on the outside of the line and in the interior line as the season wore on, up time of the offense. The defensive line, to me, considering all the talent that was there, underachieved the secondary especially when there were injuries underachieved and i would also say the same for the linebacking course so basically we had problems across the board throughout the year at varying times anywhere you disagree no i i'm, I'm agree keep right. going okay so i'm listening kind of late i'm setting the table here i've already put down the sheet you know the, the table what's it called the tablecloth tablecloth i'm, I'm yep. putting the place down i'm putting the forks down and not, now i'm just kind of finishing the touches here the Rams address these issues by basically de- attempting, we'll find out if it worked out, attempting to develop Joe Nopum and Brian Allen at the center and guard position. Roger Saffold was one of the best in the league, moves on, couldn't afford to keep him. John Sullivan's gone. The Rams attempt to help the running game out in case there are issues with Todd Gurley, 
by drafting Daryl Henderson, heck of a running back, may arguably was the best running back in this class, depending on who you talk to. They addressed the defensive line by drafting Greg Gaines. They let Ndamukong Sue go, couldn't afford to keep him. They addressed the linebacking core slash defensive line, depending on where you put him, by getting Clay Matthews, and it appears they're, they're primed to promote, well, Micah Kaiser. And in the secondary, they go out there and they let LaMarcus Joyner go. Again, couldn't afford to keep him. And they very smoothly kind of sneak in there and get Eric Weddle. All those changes in mind, Mike. Here's where we're going to go here for the next few minutes. What do the Rams need to do with this new core of players to make another Super Bowl run? What, where do they need to go? Well, they basically need to improve on some of the shortcomings from last year, you know, and overall it'll just be consistency down the stretch. And, you know, they're going to have to make sure they take care of home field advantage throughout the season. But, you know, as I look at the schedule, I mean, they have, uh, you know, a big game with New Orleans, second game, uh, September 15th, which is the second game after playing Carolina week one. So that's, that's going to be a big game right there. Because uh, if you break down the schedule in the in the kind of four quarters, if you will, you know the first quarter they're at Carolina, New Orleans at home, at Cleveland, again another game, and then Tampa Bay at home. So they should be, if not four and zero, at least three and one coming out of that stretch. Then it goes on down. But big thing is that the guys are going to have to gel, and they need to get off to a good start. Uh, Position-wise, I'm eyeballing that interior line. With the new guys in there, Joe Nopum, Brian Allen, I know there's a lot of concern across the league. I know a couple of of NFL quote-unquote experts have pointed that out and made their comments about it, especially one that I got myself blocked by this week on Twitter, which (laughs) some of you heard about. I I was nice. I I carried myself very professionally and just disagreed with the guy, and he couldn't handle it. Anyways, one thing we do know, and Vinny Bonsignor from The Athletic reported this as well, that the Rams spent a lot of the week last year, a lot of the weeks in between games, putting Joe Noteboom and Brian Allen in action, getting them ready. We didn't see them a whole lot in games, especially Brian Allen. We saw Joe Noteboom late in the year, but we know they were developing these guys during the week with the first team. That was the big deal and trying to get them ready and get them ready and get them ready. And of course, at this time next year, we're probably going to be getting ready for a left tackle to come in. So I'm a bit more confident in that interior line than maybe some folks are, but that's where I'm looking first. Can they pull off the same job that was done last year, actually do it better because we saw the, the offensive line break down several times, especially late in the year last year, in critical moments, the Bears game, the Eagles game, the Detroit right. game, and right. of course in the Super Bowl, and you, you don't want your quarterback facing that. People want to pick on Jared Goff, which we'll get to in a moment, but you don't. if you're protecting Jared Goff, you're probably not worrying about that too much. What are your thoughts on the sure. change in the interior line? True, true. Well, you know, again, the great thing they have at the interior line is these guys aren't necessarily guys that are free agents coming in or guys coming out of college. So having that opportunity to be in the system another year automatically makes you a little bit better. Now, regardless of what people are saying, 
you know, we're going to need to see them in full time action. But the fact that they've been they've been through a year of camp, they know where to go for meetings, they know you know how to pace themselves. So now that part of it'll be a lot easier. The great thing is when you have a solid person in Andrew Whitworth that is part of your line. He reminds me a lot of a Jackie Slater type. Uh, my days with the Rams. He's he's got that presence to make sure the guys next to him are doing the right things to be prepared. So with Big Andy Whitworth and the guys not being technically newbies to the system, uh, I think that's going to pay dividends starting out and going down. Obviously, the injury situation, you know, you want to keep guys healthy. Uh, that's always the wild card that you just can't predict. And their key factor, too, is getting a lot of those draft picks developed as well because that's where a lot of the death's going to be this year, those young guys that they did pick up, especially on the outside. Heaven forbid Andrew Whitworth go down. That will be a major problem. So the development of all those young guys, to me, this is critical for a Super Bowl run because you want this guy getting some rest. I'm also looking out at the wide receivers. Going to go there first real quick. The, because there isn't a whole lot you need to worry about when it comes to Brandon Cooks or with Robert Woods, but I'm looking at Josh Reynolds right now. I know going back to our previous draft stuff, you really wanted the Rams to take a receiver. They didn't. So now, that, to me, that zeroes in on Josh Reynolds. Is Josh Reynolds going to take the next step in his development as a wide receiver? Because what if Cooper Cup's not quite ready yet? What if he's not there yet and you need Josh Reynolds more? That's also what I think they need to improve at, especially come third down in critical games absolutely absolutely and so again they're going to expect a guy like josh reynolds to take a huge leap here in you know the the camp when we get back here uh, in a few weeks and then obviously leading into the season but you gotta always look at you know they got a guy named austin prohl you know which i believe is ricky prohl's son right yes the fact is you know that guy i'm gonna say is going to have some extreme hands. And so you may see a guy like that sneak into the rotation, you know, good speed, good hands, uh, good size for a receiver. So the one thing we got to always think about is Coach McVay, you know, coached under, you know, a guy named Mr. Shanahan. So you think of the Terrell Davis in the Denver years, what did they do? They ran the ball. They could throw it as well, but, they kind of led with the run with Terrell Davis. So we saw that early and pretty much the whole season until late with Todd Gurley. So I'm still thinking that he's going to still have that type of ingredient or formula for success is we're going to need to run the ball, which will open up the pass. So that's where I think we're getting some, some pluses on the front line uh, because when you're your run blocking, you know, most linemen will tell you they love the run block. They can pass block, but when you're running block, run blocking, you're coming downhill. You're not waiting for someone to come and try to just steamroll you or go around you. So that being the case, I, I think they're going to do just fine because I know we'll be able to run the ball. And, of course, you're mentioning that. You're also remembering C.J. Anderson, the job he did when he stepped in. Absolutely. The running game to me, though, had one issue last year. Outside of all the end arounds and so on and so forth, the Rams had a really hard time getting to the edge on anything that field out. 
going with wise and so what I want the Rams to do this year is I want them to improve on that and if we're talking about the running game we need to see them more to the edge especially early in the game early, just get these get these teams widened out to the point where they don't exactly know where you're going we had problems with that last year and I think with Daryl Henderson in the lineup here, a guy you can do a lot of those things, and Todd Gurley is, from what we can tell, he's all right. I know there's all kinds of rumors out there, but we're seeing this guy jump around bounce houses and crap like that on Twitter. I think he's all right for now. We'll see how he goes throughout the entire season. And you and I, I mean, I've, we've long talked about this. I believe Malcolm Brown can start in the NFL as well. So you have a pretty deep running back core. I want to see this team get to the edges. But at the end of the day, Mike, it's Jared Goff. At the end of the day, Jared Goff is going to be our general, and it, he's taken a lot of flack this season. We talked about this before. Chris Sims ranked him as a 19th quarterback in the NFL in his top 40, 19th. We also, we, if you go back a couple episodes, folks, you'll see that we went through this and kind of laughed about it and said he's probably somewhere between 10 and 12 right now. I think he's got to take that leap into the top 10. I think he's got to take that leap in terms of leadership across the board and his movement in the pocket just this time if he he's t- again a lot of criticism facing him but answer the call and that's something that he's done every year in his career every time he's been challenged Jared Goff has answered that challenge and I'm betting you that's the kind of guy we see this season yeah we're definitely gonna have to need to see that out of big Mr. Goff uh no doubt you gotta have great play at the quarterback position to be effective in the NFL And uh, I'm looking forward to him again, as long as he continues to improve. uh, But improvement with a team sport is everyone improving. And then maybe one single guy may get a little few more of the pats on the back. But as long as it's a team sport, which it'll be, uh, you're going to need everyone to do their part so that a guy like Jared Goff can get the ball out and get it to, you know, the weapons, as we say. Uh, with the receivers, running backs out the backfield, and what have you. But, yeah, definitely looking for for great play out of him. But, again, he's now got a lot of tape out there, so defenses are gonna will be a little more prepared for what they're doing, which goes back to what we talked about before. Hopefully we can get the tight ends in the passing games a little bit more and be able to use them more effectively than last year. It's so easy for us to forget about Gerald Everett and Tyler Higby. It's really easy for us to do that because they haven't been the impact guys we really thought would happen, you know, happen to be in this offense when you get a guy like Sean McVay who did this successfully in Washington. But to me, it's almost essential now. You need weapons across the board of the NFL. You need guys who can make plays at every position if you are in that skill position. So it's time. I'm looking at Gerald Everett. We've talked about this ad nauseum it's got to happen right so now or never joe it's got to happen and this also means sean mcveigh as the offensive mind they stuck in 11 personnel throughout much of the year last year a large majority of the year teams started to figure it out i saw a couple articles this week basically asking the question was this the rams have been successful in 11 personnel so why change and my answer to this is easy because the NFL is one big chess game. And right now, Sean McVay and the other NFL coaches are playing chess. And those teams, the Patriots, the Bears, all those teams we mentioned earlier, made some solid moves in putting the Rams' offense in check. Now, 
How does Sean McVay adjust? That's what I, that's what we have to see improvement on. It's it's a, and for coaching. It's a never ending story, right? It's got to be a constant adjustment to what other coaches are doing, and maybe that means coming out of eleven personnel more. Maybe it means doing other things that will throw people for a loop. Yeah, no doubt. Well, you know, as you said, it's like a chess game, and so you always have to be ready to dial up an adjustment or to dial up something to get them thinking one way to gain somewhat an advantage to keep them off, uh, keep them uh, on their heels, if you will, keep them off balance and do those things. And the cool thing with the off season, and I would think that Sean McVay, just the type of person he seems to be, he probably was in the film room the next week getting ready for the season just for the fact that, man, we were that close could have made some adjustments. So I would see him as a guy probably already has a lot of different wrinkles that we'll see already this season. I mean, that's what we need to see from him for, you know, we, we've been pretty fortunate with Sean McVay because for the most part, we're talking about chess, but he's been playing checkers with a lot of NFL coaches and some of the best stuff set up and they've played chess with him. And it's been hard to watch sometimes. And especially in the Super Bowl, it was really hard to watch. Now's his move. It's his turn now. He's got to go take that move and see what he does with it. Defensively, I'm, I'm, this is here we go, Mike. Hot take, okay? Oh, here we go. Uh, because I'm sitting down. I, I, you know, I love Wade Phillips. The man is a legend in the coaching industry. But you know, we're talking about defense. Last year, to finish 18th in the league with some very talented people, some very talented players across the board, both at at corner at you know, at defensive tackle, defensive line, and even at linebacker. I, th- I would have thought by now, after two years as a defensive coordinator, this Rams defense would be better. And to me, this is the year they got to make that happen. Again, I don't mean that as his dire criticism that he's done a horrible job. I'm just saying I thought the defense would be more dominant than it has. It makes plays, it creates turnovers, or a bend-but-don't-break defense, but... We need a little more dominance, especially in key situations. To give this, you know, to give the offense more chances. There we go. There's my, well, there's my hot take. Go. <laughs> yeah, that's a hot take, but I'm going to disagree with you a little bit on that DC that's, in the fine. sense that's that fine. the the idea is, or from my point of view, you got to look at the injury bug. You know, when a key to lead went down, that just threw the defense out of whack. Before he went down, it was interceptions. We're getting a lot of sacks. We're getting turnovers. It was like, wow, this defense is going to be really impactful. When he went down, we saw that uh, Marcus Peters got exposed a little bit in regards to the man-on-man coverage situation. And so they got that fixed and, you know, just started using him for where his strengths were, and he started looking better. You know, obviously when Aqib came uh, to leave, came back, uh, later in the year, you got to remember, even though he was back playing, you're still coming off an injury. So I would look for him to be now technically fully healed, ready to go again. Though he's played in the system with Wade up in Denver, you know, when you go to a new team, you're going to always try to, yeah, bring your system along, but you're always making tweaks to take advantage of the guys you have on that team. So now I think. Because he's been here, this will be year three, 
that all the guys who've been in the system now are going to be that much better. Again, you got some good additions with uh, Weddle and Clay Matthews that have shown that they can be playmakers. So I think the defense, just from that standpoint, should be a lot better. I, I get what you're saying, and I and I don't disagree with you to a large extent. I'm just looking at this going, at some point here, the defense has to take the next step, and it shouldn't always be dependent on one player. I understand what to losing to leave did. I know what the effect it had on Marcus Peters for that matter. But I also want to see Marcus Peters grow as a corner as well. I'm not just talking zone corner. I'm talking about as a press guy because you can't always be in zone. And so I'm looking at a better pass rush. But really what I'm concerned with is in those guys. This team still has significant problems stopping the run last year when that was supposed to be a key move in getting Ndamukong Sue. And I want that. That was what really concerned me. And I'm thinking... At least with the word we're hearing out of, of camp, you know, the camp so far, Clay Matthews has been pretty good with Michael Kaiser stepping in there. This will be a better run-stopping team. But that's really what I'm referring to overall's defense is you stop that run, then we're going to be okay across the board. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, I think, and this is, you know, playing devil advocate, if you will, even seeing Sue, why was he playing so well down the stretch playoff time as opposed to the season so was that an individual who might have been banged up and they kind of kept it somewhat hidden or was that a guy who said okay now I'm going to turn it up now we're in the playoffs because it was a little bit night and day uh, early in the season versus uh, very late in the season in playoff Dominic and Sue uh, so I look at all that and plus, even though Aaron came in late, uh, Donald, and he did a great job, but you're talking overall, he still took, you know, the three or four weeks to get into game shape, though he was effective even in those games. So I think with him being here the whole time, you know, the addition of the new guys, the idea that, you know, there hasn't been a lot of turnover in the defensive front seven uh, we made some additions. You got a guy, Micah Kaiser, who is here, is going to be able to step in and just hopefully take off and fly really high for us. I just think we'll be a lot more formidable just because of that. I mean, if we see more development, too, from Corey Lilliton, Corey Lilliton is you know, an amazing playmaker, but we saw him make some key mistakes just on normal plays. and I think that's the mark of a young guy more than anything else. So if he continues his development as just a tackling person, you know, a tackling player, a player that will make the every play kind of play, we'll see improvement there as well. And I think Eric Weddle in the back, really, he changes everything in terms of leadership in the secondary. I think when... Akeem Talib went down last year. They lacked that. He brings that now. Pairing him with, with John Johnson. Ooh. <laughs> I cannot wait to see that. Pairing him with John Johnson. Yeah, yeah. And so here you go again. You know, a situation where safeties overall, you know, are solid. So now it's just a matter of. Again, everyone doing their job. And again, the luxury we don't have is actually being in the meeting rooms to see who's busting coverages or maybe not playing hard or, you know, in the wrong gap at the wrong time, which, again, keeps drives alive. But I just look at, you know, the first first month or so 
of the year, the defense was really stout to a degree, and then it just kind of went through a lull, started getting back late in the season, and then the playoffs. So I'm just uh, I'm excited to to see because once you've now had a coach here for more than two three years, then now you have some stability and the defensive system. So I, I just see the system being a little more formidable uh, going forward this year. What about the kicking game? That's something we haven't talked about much. The kicking game itself, uh, I'm not talking about field goals and punts. We're good with that. I'm talking about punt returns, kick returns. We've seen the importance of a lot of that go away with the new NFL rules. Are, I'm not even concerned there, are you? No, no, because... You know, the kicking game to a degree is somewhat limited. Again, like you just said, because of the rules, there's not really a whole lot you can do except maybe, you know, fake punts and things like that. But other than that, you know, the way they have the kickoff, you know, guys are pretty much going to kick it in the end zone. And then where the punting game is, uh, most guys now are directional kicking. So, you're, you're just kind of past the days of just seeing a guy being able to have opportunities to really make returns. I think the days of seeing Devin Hester and Tavon Austin just run through right. people are done. I think they are. Yeah. We'll still, we'll, I mean, we'll still get it once in a while. But once in a while, right. It's just pretty much over. All right. So there's our just kind of look. We're getting ready to go to camp here, and we're, we're thinking about these things and what they have to do to improve. I also got to say this flat out. They got to beat New Orleans in week two. They got to beat Carolina in week one. To me, those are big steps for them. Carolina's an improved team. They have Gerald McCord there. Now they're on the defensive line. They've made a drastic improvements in their passers all around. We, we talked to Dennis Walsh from Keep Pounding, and he made that abundantly clear that we cannot, this is not a team you sleep on week one. Last year, the Rams sort of slept on the Raiders, didn't play any stars for the entire preseason. You're not going to get away with that this year, I don't think especially with the Saints kind of lingering in the background for week two. So the big start, the dominant start to start the year, it to me is really important for the Rams to be successful because right after the, the Saints come the Browns, by the way, and the Browns on paper, on paper, look to be very good. We'll see how they execute that, but on paper, they look good. Yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, looking at the schedule, you, like you said, Carolina, New Orleans, Cleveland, and Tampa Bay. Then after that, the next four are Seattle, at Seattle, Frisco, then at Atlanta, then Cincinnati. You know what I mean? So, again, out of those eight games, the Rams need to be at least six and two or better. You and, know, and so, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, yeah, six of those eight games are against probable playoff teams right now. Right. But if you're the big dog, you've been to the mountaintop, you got to let all the little dogs know we're still the big dog. But – those little dogs are going to be real feisty, so you got to take the fight out of them early and not let them have hope uh, that they can now dethrone you or take your crown away. So, yes, they got a, a pretty stout schedule, but I think with the additions and all those things, I'm pretty confident we, we can end up where we need to be going into that, that bye week in week nine. All right, folks, so there you go. There's our little primer for you as we start in the last month before training camp starts. We're going to be doing a lot more looking at positions individually, and we'll also be finishing up the tour in the league as well. Right now, we do want to give a shout-out to our sponsor, 
Most of us are proud that we did anything in Los Angeles Rams. Well, if you want to learn more about the Rams' history with a bit of personal touch, check out Jim Hawk's book, Hollywood's Teen Grit Glam in the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. The book tells the story of the 1950s Rams to the lens of Jim's dad, John, who was an offensive lineman for the team from 1953 to 1957. Check out some story of his father and the team he played for in an era of glitz, Glamour of future Hall of Famers, rebound players like Norm Van Brocklin, Elway, courageously hers, Tom Fears, and Les Richter in this story spend the 1950s Los Angeles Rams. You can find Hawks book online at hollywoodsteam.com and on Twitter at hollywoodsteam. It's available both in hardback and electronic form at Amazon and Barnes and Noble. You can also find this book pretty much everywhere on the internet through the different booksellers and it's paperback on September 6th. Folks, I've read it from cover to cover. It's an affordable read. All proceeds go to Homeboy Industries out there in California and L.A. They, their job is to basically help people get out of the gang life and make them productive members of society. It's a really great cause for a really great book. If you like Rams history, which many of us do, most of us do, check it out. Hollywood's Teen Grit Glamour and the 1950s Los Angeles Rams by Jim Hawk. It's well worth your time. All right. So of the many threats to the NFC, it may one of them may just be the Green Bay Packers. They did a lot of nice things in the draft. They've moved pretty well in free agency. They got themselves a quarter, a uh, not quarterback. We know they're not a quarterback, but a new head coach that we're quite familiar with. It's Adam Lafleur, our former offensive coordinator. Here is our tour of the interview with the Power Sweeps John Meerdink to preview the Green Bay Packers. Check it out. All right, folks, I'm here with John Meerdink from the Power Sweep Podcast. He's been one of our favorites here. I've, I've actually quoted him in a couple of our podcasts since then, especially on the Clay Matthews signing. John, welcome back, man. How you doing? It's real good to be here. Battling a little bit of a cold, but, you know, can't complain. It's spring, and the weather's finally turning a little bit. Yeah, there was a spring cold going around. My daughter woke up last night with a cold, and hopefully that well, it will. It just will spread through the house, but... The spring cold thing is happening, man. It's not you can't run from it, especially in Ohio. Yep, you just got to let it happen, and it'll run its course eventually. So, other than that, you know things are good, and I'm glad to be back. So, let's get right into it. Looking back on the 2018 Packers, what went wrong, and how did it fall apart from Mike McCarthy? Boy, that is a, a complicated question, and I think you'd you'd like to pin it on just one thing. I think it's a it's a lot of different things. Certainly, Aaron Rodgers' injury didn't help. Um, it, the tibial plateau fracture seems to have affected him just about all season long, along with the MCL sprain. But there's a, an aspect of things just getting stale for McCarthy there, too. Um, that's been something people are watching the Packers closely throughout the league, not just the local reporters and, and writers have, have pointed out. Uh, he ran a very simple offense, and although I think he did update things a, a lot this year, he made a lot of strides, made a lot of changes, is is probably just time for things to move on. Uh, it, it just all kind of went wrong at once in 2017 with Aaron Rodgers breaking his collarbone, and then in 2018 it all just continued to go wrong, and that was the end of the Mike McCarthy era. How much of it was Mike McCarthy's fault? And I ask that because there were some grumblings in the national media about Aaron Rodgers. So I guess the second part of the question is, how much do you hold Aaron Rodgers responsible for the Packers' issues? Um, I was a lot harder on Rodgers until I think I learned the extent of his injury. And I think even late in the season, you could still see that he wasn't quite right. But Aaron Rodgers sometimes, I think, is his own worst enemy. Um, I used a kind of a complicated analogy of it. I don't know if you do any like research into 
AI or machine learning or anything like that. But every so often, you'll see a study come out about how somebody's doing research in this area, and they teach a computer program, or they try to teach a computer program to do one thing, and it'll end up doing something completely the opposite, just because it learns the wrong lessons. Rogers is a lot like a supercomputer in some ways. He, he is incredibly intelligent, but sometimes it seems like he gets focused on doing the wrong things. So this last year, it seemed like he was really fixated since I think he knew he couldn't carry the offense the way that he could in the past because of his injury. He was focused on eliminating any possible bad play. So he only threw two interceptions all season. Both of them came on tipped passes, but he also led the league in throwaways by a wide, wide margin. I think Pro Football Focus said he had more throwaways by like 50 throws or something something absurd like that than anybody else since they've been tracking that stat since like 2007. And I think that's Rodgers just kind of getting in his own way. Sometimes if he would just force the issue a little bit more, take a few more chances, maybe things things go a little bit better for him and for the Packers. But I, I don't know if I buy the idea that he was trying to sabotage Mike McCarthy, although sometimes you'd you'd have a hard time seeing the other side of that with some of the comments he made publicly, and he's walked some of those back since then. But it, it wasn't great there, and I think it was just uh, 13 years of being together. Sometimes things get a little bit testy sometimes. So I don't think he was trying to run McCarthy out of town. He didn't necessarily do him any favors, but I don't think there was anything to that. Well, what's your take on Matt LaFleur, and how good of a fit do you think he is as Packers head coach? Uh, I like the idea of Matt LaFleur. I, I can see the reasoning there. I'm still a little bit reserved on him as a whole. Um, and and I, tr- I try really hard to not let the personality stuff get in the way, because that's ultimately a pretty secondary factor. But... As much as I like the stuff that he says about, you know, wanting to create explosive plays and things like that, some of the stuff about, you know, not being a commanding personality in the locker room, not necessarily having the experience and and not getting very good results in the time that he has had hands-on experience, that's a little bit cautious or makes me a little bit cautious. So I, I think I like the philosophical direction that he's going. I think I like his emotional intelligence, but there are a couple... I don't want to say red flags. There are areas of concern. So color me cautiously optimistic here. Okay. All that in mind, I want to look at the the front office as well. Last time we talked, you mentioned the Packers tend to do things their own way, like the Packers way. And it almost sounded like to me, you you kind of believe it was a little outdated. And and that's how it sounded to me. If I'm wrong, tell me. But what is the state of the Packers front office right now? And has it turned a corner in terms of, the player personnel that, that need to be there. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually just finished uh, a podcast of my own talking about the Packers organizational structure. Beat writer Tom Silverstein of the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel just dropped an enormous piece on basically what he sees as problems with the Packers organization. Uh, in the past, it was a little bit siloed. You had Ted Thompson handling the personnel, Russ Ball negotiating contracts for him, and Mike McCarthy handling the coaching. Basically, those two areas, the personnel and the coaching, never crossed paths at all. And Mark Murphy, Murphy, the team president, who kind of functions as the Packers' owner, although he he isn't, um, basically stayed out of it. But with Ted Thompson moving on at the end of the 2017 season, Murphy has made it a point to get a lot more involved. And that's led to 
some potentially concerning developments, depending on your perspective. Brian Gutekunst is the general manager, but he doesn't have the power to hire and fire his own head coach. Russ Ball handles all of the football operations, but doesn't have final say over personnel. That's Gutekunst's job. And now Matt LaFleur comes into this, a 39-year-old first-time head coach, who doesn't necessarily have any responsibilities, but technically he's on the same level as Brian Gutekunst and Russ Ball. Now, that's probably the negative way of looking at it. The positive way is Mark Murphy is taking all of the heat for all of these guys if anything goes awry. I think that's probably the best and most charitable way to look at it, and I think that things, generally speaking, are in good shape. I like what Brian Gutekunst has done. Russ Ball is as sharp a contract negotiator as you can get in the NFL, and if Matt LaFleur is the coach they think he is, this whole operation should be in pretty good shape. Um, I don't have any concerns right now. I can see the arguments for concerns. Um, They're not compelling to me, but I can see why people would be concerned. I'd say six months, you know, since we've last talked, eight months, uh, they're in better shape. How do you evaluate the Packers' offseason moves right now? The good, bad? uh, Where do you kind of view their direction? I I don't know if that would, would, I would say there's any moves that they made that I would characterize as bad straight out. There are moves that I think are good, you know, high chance of getting a good return, moves that I have questions about, and moves that I'm not really sure yet what they are. So the moves that I, I think are really going to have a high return on investment are these. I think signing Preston Smith um, is my favorite move they made this offseason. He just is a steady, reliable sort of guy, and it seems like you know exactly what you're going to get out of him. Drafting Darnell Savage is unlike anything they've done on the back end of their defense in as long as I can remember. He's the most athletic person they've had on the back end of their defense since Nick Collins. And Nick Collins was a tremendous, you know, all pro caliber safety. This guy is even more athletic than Nick Collins was. And Collins was a four, three, four, four, 40 type guy. Um, those are the real high end moves. The, the moves I have questions about signing Billy Turner, um, a guy that doesn't really seem to have a position, uh, a guy who's not really held down a starting role on either of the teams you've played so play, played for so far, and signing him to the the contract that they did, paying him a lot of money, paying him starting lineman money when you don't even know if he's going to be a starting lineman, I think is is questionable. Moves that are kind of in the middle, um, signing Zadarius Smith, uh, not the the player himself, but the contract they gave him. It kind of seems like one where they may end up eating some dead money at some point, just because his numbers may not match the the, the contract that he's getting. I think he's a fine player. Love his skill set. Love the diversity that he has there. But the contract again doesn't quite line up there. And then drafting Rashawn Gary, I can see the case for it. He just wasn't the guy that I would have taken at twelfth overall. I was a big fan of Montez Sweat, who has almost all of the athleticism that Rashawn Gary does but also was highly productive in college. Gary, I know there's some some stuff about his role there in at, at Michigan, just up the road from where I am outside Toledo. But boy, you, you just think for a guy who's at, as athletic as he was, the production, the, the raw numbers would have been there at some point, and they just weren't. I'm confident he could get there, but that wouldn't have been the move I would have made at 12, though I am open to seeing what he can do. I mean, if, if they were looking at Sweat, for example, you could have traded back and got him. Right, that's kind of what I was thinking. You know, and somebody, I'm sure teams are looking at 12 and thinking, okay, I, I can go there. Yeah, yep. That's, uh, I mean, 
six foot five, an eighty something inch wingspan. I think eighty six inches on Montez Sweat running a four four forty. I like that, but uh, I mean the Packers went in a different direction. Went with a guy who, uh, according to relative athletic score, I don't know if you follow that metric at all. He was like the third most athletic player in the entire draft. So if you want athleticism, Rashawn Gary's got that. I just wish there was some some numbers that kind of back that up too. I've watched a lot of Michigan football over the last few years, and I wonder a lot about that pick. I thought there was a chance he could slip into the second round just based yeah. off of his lack of production. Sometimes to me, it's like like DK Metcalf. If DK Metcalf was, you know, all of a sudden blowing the combine, he drops into the second round. Why? Because people aren't necessarily buying everything from the combine anymore. And I thought that would probably be the same thing with him, and it didn't happen. Yep, yep. I had similar thoughts there. And I've been to a couple of Michigan games in person the last couple of years. Uh, I always ask my scouting buddies, you know, who do you, who do you want, who should I be watching as I go to these games in person? And Gary was a guy that they, they mentioned both times and just, you never really saw it. You wouldn't have noticed he was on the field if you weren't looking for it yourself. And, you know, this is just an outside observer. I've had people, you know, since then who've pointed out things on tape that he's doing really well. And, you know, I'm, I've, certainly you know have to factor those opinions in there too he just wouldn't have been the guy that i would have thought of first at 12th overall maybe it turns out to be a great pick he seems like he can do a lot of different things though too well speaking of the packers draft what were their best and worst picks in your view um i don't know if there's anyone that sticks out really as bad uh i think darnell savage is going to be just great um he wasn't somebody that was on my radar as a first round pick uh but you know, if if they got him at 21 and only had to give up two-fourths to do it, I, that seems like a pretty pretty good deal for me. Um, so I like that a lot. The pick that has me scratching my head a little bit is, is Elton Jenkins in the second round, not because I don't think he can be a good player, uh, but because of how the Packers have talked about using him so far. So there's a longstanding tradition of the Packers taking guys that played tackle in college, left tackle specifically, and turning them into guards in the NFL. A lot of the guards they had success with over the years have kind of followed that that path. Josh Sitton played tackle in college. He ended up being a Pro Bowl left, uh, left and right guard. T.J. Lang did that. Uh, it goes on and on. They've tried it again and again and again. And if if anything, you just get a guy who can play tackle and guard. Elton Jenkins played a lot of center in college, and now they want to move him out of center and have him play guard. That's just a little bit unusual to me. So that sticks out as something that, that is a little bit out of character for the Packers. Now, they've got a new offensive system in place there. Uh, they, they're looking for stuff that's a little bit different on the offensive line, going with a wide zone scheme. So Maybe this is just a, a sign of the times and they're doing something different. But that stuck out as being a little bit out of character for what the Packers have done in the past. Put this all together for me. Where do the Packers rank right now in the NFC North? And how many wins do you see on their schedule? So I kind of come from the school that until you prove that the guy who won it last year shouldn't be on the top, you can't put yourself there. So I would put the Packers tied with the Vikings at second in the NFC North right now. Uh, the Bears defense is still really really good you know they're a year older they didn't necessarily have a lot of draft picks to add there their cap flexibility isn't what it was you know after adding khalil mack last year but it's still a really great defense you don't know how different it's going to be without vic fangio there sure uh but they got a lot of good players in place there so i think i would still give them the edge right now these are completely different teams though in may than we saw in december and then we'll see in September or whenever they end up playing uh, this year. So 
Um, I would still put them behind the Bears, but I think 10 wins is a good start for the Packers this year. Um, I think they can get to 10 wins. Uh, I think with a, just a little bit of improvement on offense, they'll be back to maybe that late 2016 level we saw or close to that. And with some improvements on defense, that should be good enough to get them back on the right track this year. Thanks for coming on, John. And But can you let people know where they can find you, you and your podcast? So you can check us out at thepowersweep.com. That's the home where we put up all our blog posts, uh, all of our our podcasts. The name of the podcast is Blue 58. We differentiate the name a little bit there. Uh, And if you want to check out my work on Twitter, it's at J-O-N-M-E-E-R-D-I-N-K on Twitter. I post everything that I do there and weigh weigh in there periodically as well. So check us out at each of those three locations. All right, John, thanks so much for coming on. I hope you feel better. Get some sleep tonight. Try and get over this cold, and we'll talk to you soon. Derek, I appreciate it. It's been great to be on. All right, Mike. Well, it is time for us to get going here. Do you have any final thoughts this week? It's been a couple weeks. I'm sure you've had a lot of things to ponder about the Rams, especially when watching all the the weird gossip and stuff like that that's been passed around the Internet about you know what's been going on with the team and so on and so forth. Man, I often tell our players, uh, time is our best friend. Things will reveal themselves in time. We will know here in the next couple weeks, uh, one, how Gurley is actually doing, and two, how we're actually looking now that we are going to be getting into the preseason, playing some other folks. So the next few weeks are going to be fun as we get ready to head into camp, but uh, soon enough, we will have many of our questions answered and i can't wait uh, i'm looking forward i'm a little i'm a little on the edge about the season you know after a lot of times teams lose a certain bowl they come back and they're not the same i don't right, know that that'll right. happen with this team i go back to the 99 rams and the 2001 rams 2001 rams to me they on paper that team was the best team in the league and going back the next year, they should have been in the playoffs again. And we've seen the reports. We've, we've talked to folks about it. That lost Super Bowl messed them up. I don't see that with this team. I see a lot of, of strength in there. I see a lot of leadership at the top that I don't think the LA Rams, sorry, the, the 2001 St. Louis Rams had. And so I think things will be fine. But you never really know until we get into camp and start seeing how play, players react and how they are, uh, basically how they kind of get at it. So, all that in mind, it is time for us to go. Reach, we are looking for sponsors for the 2019 season. We really need sponsors, trust me. We've done very well this year keeping our listenership over the summer. If you're interested in advertising with us, reach out to us at ramstop1945 at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 657-666-5453. We have a media kit ready to get out to you. Also, if you are an Angels fan in the area, and, and some of you are, Check out other podcast, Talking Halos, which covers the Angels. Sooner or later, we'll get a Dodgers one out there. Just take a little bit of time. In the meantime, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. We get ourselves into a lot of shenanigans on Twitter. Uh, Mike just gave me that look. His eyes got real big. <laughs> and, of course, we're on Facebook at Rams Talk. Uh, you can find our group, the Rams Talk Room, which is where we like to communicate a lot with fans because our Facebook page oftentimes gets a little ignored due to Facebook algorithms. You can find me on Twitter at DC Paul and Mike at one do 23. Don't forget us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all those places. And of course, IEBeatRed.com plays our shows on Sundays and Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific time. Mike, you ready to roll, man? Ready to roll, buddy. I'm ready to get out here as well. 
For Mike and the entire Rams Talk staff, this is Derek Ciapala saying take it easy. We are out of here. This episode is sponsored by Schwann's.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. This episode is sponsored by schwanns.com. What are you having for dinner tonight? Hmm, good question. Schwann's Home Delivery has a solution for you. Stock up your freezer with high-quality frozen foods like premium meats and sides, delicious ready-made meals, ice cream, and more. No subscriptions, no memberships, just a friendly yellow truck that's been delivering food for almost 70 years. Listeners of this show get a special deal. Get 20% off your first order with code YUM20. Check out schwanns.com backslash yum for details. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.